Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. I put this up on Facebook and I'm going to show you this because I realize some people don't always see this. Some people don't ever get on Facebook or some people don't even have it, but I want to bring it to your attention because one, I feel like it goes with the weightiness of that I feel in the service, and it goes with what I'm about to deliver to you. I don't know which uh, slide Tanner he put up first, so just put the first one up, however it looks. These these pictures I took a I took a screenshot of because I uh, I often get updates by this Jerusalem post that you see up here. And it, it, is, it is not a Christian organization. It is simply a, a paper outlet, if you will, over in Israel. And I just, I like hearing things that are removed from Christianity jargon. And I also like to hear just, just everyday things that are playing out in the world that are outside of the United States, that it, it just, it's just, it is what it is, okay? So they, they're, they're just bringing to you the news of the day. And so in this, they show you, um, and I'm not going to try to pronounce all of their names, but the three gentlemen that you see there holding hands, and then you can see them in the other screen where they're sitting around the table, that actually happened this week. You, you're not going to be able to see it on these slides, but I have them highlighted. You can go to the New Life uh, Facebook group, the community group, that's where I placed them. And so you could, you'll be able to read a little bit more in depth. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was July 19th, which was, what day was that this week? Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. And so this, this is coming out the next day. So they had, they had several meetings in a row and then the Jerusalem post put this out. These three men are presidents of all three different countries. One of them is the president of Russia. One of them is the president of Turkey. And one of them is the president of Iran. Collectively, they really, they really uh, all tolerate each other. Okay, they, they are not what we would call friendly. They are not necessarily working together, but they share certain goals as a country and they those goals as individual three countries can only be achieved as they three come together so in other words whatever the goal of Russia is and whatever the goal of Iran is and whatever the goal of Turkey is it cannot be achieved in and of themselves they must be a unit and they are bringing in other countries to help fortify this coalition, if you will, so that they can advance their own personal agenda because there are certain countries that they want to occupy. There are certain things that they want to build up wealth within themselves, etc., etc. Um, is to Put up the next slide, Tanner. This is really quickly, I, I threw this up here so that you would understand uh, this slide shows shows where we are today, like where the countries are today, that they are 
they all have biblical precedence and they all have biblical meaning. All three of these countries you can find all throughout the Old Testament and even more specifically in the prophecy speaking about the end times. You can find all three of these countries. Now, they're not called Russia in the Bible, but it's called, uh, oh my, say it again, Magog, there you go. Gog and Magog, that's referring to Russia. So each one is called something else, but they are referring to that bit of land. And if I can try to read this, let me read it up from over here. In an unintended consequence of Russia's invasion of Ukraine is that it has now set the world on a new course. Iranian media has begun to speak of a new world order in which the U.S. hedge money is weakened. Russia's TASS media also highlights the weakening of the West and the multipolar world that it believes that we are now entering. And here's one of the parts that I highlighted. That means Iranian and Russian media have now the same narrative and take on the meetings. This level of message discipline among Moscow, Tehran, and Anakar, which are all three cities in all of those countries, they have now shared, they have shared some interest in the past, but today their interest appears to be coinciding to an unprecedented degree. You can read about something that I don't believe they put up, but you can read about Ezekiel 38. It talks about a war that transpires. And in the prediction of this war through the prophet Ezekiel, all three of these countries are named along with some other countries. And it is speaking of the end times. And we, we as believers believe that certain things has to transpire before that comes to the fullness of it. Before we might see some of it, we might see uh, parts of it, you know, the, the way the Bible is. I, I don't believe, like I believe, have a belief, but I don't believe that it is 100% spoken out. Some of this, you, you just have to be led by the Holy Spirit. I say all this to say this. We as Christians, not us as individuals, I'm speaking as a body of Christ, are woefully ignorant of the things of God in the capacity that we have forgotten our assignment. And we have been so introspected about ourselves that we forgot why that God even called us and placed us here on this earth. There is a scripture in Luke chapter 19, verse 13. I'm not preaching out of that, but if you have a Bible app that you can flip to really quick, I want you to see this. It's part of a parable, and ironically, when when I was kind of just flipping through this, it coincides with the parable that I'm going to preach from today out of Matthew 25. But in Luke chapter 13, or 19, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 19 in verse 13. Jesus is in the middle of a parable about, and he's using the language of 10 servants. And in there, he tells them in verse 13, he tells them some instructions. And at the very end, depending on the uh, translation that you have or the version that you have, the King James Version says, occupy till I come. 
And we know the I there is Jesus. This, these are letters in red, and Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of heaven, and he is teaching them what is going to transpire uh, bet- once he leaves, he is trying to prepare their hearts of what's going to transpire in the middle of the time, but after he leaves, but before he comes back again. And he's telling them to occupy until I come. Maybe your translation says, do the business at hand. Take, take what has been given and, and just begin to enforce it and, and work it out, walk it out. Do, do what is required. This word occupy is is very incredible because it means this. It means to carry out the business at hand. It means whatever you've been given, because in the parable, the servants were given something and then they were take it, they were to take it and they were to occupy it in the land. Whatever, whatever they were given, they were to use it to do a, the business. What business? The kingdom's business. Because Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. So he's using parabolic language to show you a parallel. Everybody say, parable shows the parallel. That's why Jesus used it. So he's using a parable about something, which is heaven, the kingdom of heaven, to show a parallel. That if you do this here in this realm, you're going to be aligned up in this realm. Does that make sense? And so that's what he's doing here. And he's saying, these servants were given something, and what are they to do with it? They are to occupy. In other words, they are to do the business at hand for what? For the business of the kingdom, for the ruling of the kingdom. Because there's going to come a time, Jesus said in this parable, that I'm going to return and I am going to, you are going to give an account. Everybody is say account. That means you're going to face, I'm going to use a word that we don't like to use, even in the Christian realm. You're going to face judgment. In other words, you're going to be judged based on the work of your hands. You're going to be judged on what you were given. And did you do with what you were given, the instructions of given? And those, if you keep reading, those that did what they were supposed to and presented it back to the master when he came back, or the Lord, I believe it uses it, the Lord of the house, when he comes back and they presented and they said, Lord, here's what was happening. The Lord says, you were faithful in little, and now I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. You were faithful here in this realm. And so now I'm going to set you in places of authority in another kingdom. So you, I give you something in your hand to do here, but now I'm going to set you over cities. See, we in in, uh, the American church, we often forget because we have become so introspective about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is to bless me. And we have this hyper bold grace happening and I'm even going to go out on a limb and say this. You see a lot of Christians saying, Jesus changed my life. If it had not been for Jesus, oh, he changed my life. And in the next sentence, they literally don't want anything about their life to change. In this 
scenario, they're saying, where would I be without Jesus? Jesus significantly changed my life. And then in the next breath, they say, my life does not have to change or have any holiness to it or have any sanctification to it. But thank God Jesus changed my life. What did he change your life from? He changed your life from yourself. He changed your life from your way of thinking that I can drink the way they drink. I can smoke the way they smoke. I can watch pornography the way they do. I can sleep around the way they do. I can say what I want to. I can be bad in business. I can treat my family like nothing. But thank God, Jesus changed my life. What did he change your life from? If nothing in your life has changed, if the word of God bores you to tears, what did he change you from? Because if I'm being honest, when I was backslidden and when I wasn't living right and still coming to church, y'all ain't saying nothing. I was backslidden and I was not living right, but I was still coming to church. You know what I seen about that, Amika? The word of God bored me to tears. Prayer did not interest me. Yo, y'all quiet. And we are saying and declaring. Jesus, no, what you're saying is, thank God I don't think I'm going to hell anymore. That's really what we're testifying about. We're really not testifying that Jesus significantly changed my life. You're just saying, ooh, my conscience eased up a little bit, and I, I just, I don't think I'm going to hell no more. Because we have believed a false gospel. We have believed a false gospel that says as long as you go to church or as long as you pray to prayer, then you're good and your life really doesn't have to change any at all. The word occupy in that scripture of Luke chapter 19 verse 13, it means to carry out the business at hand. It means whatever you've been given, carry out the business at hand. Because someone is watching you. Carry out the business at hand. Because there will be rewards in another life. I personally believe God will reward in this life. I believe he gives us grace and he gives us mercy. And we can walk in his favor. And he rewards us in this life with material things. With good relationships. With peace. With health. With all those things. I believe God does that. Because he's a good father. But that is not the end. We've been, we think that that's the end, but I'm telling you, that is not the end. There will come a time in another realm called eternity, and you will either be rewarded and be in authority over cities, or you will be in the separation of the presence of God for eternity. Those are the only two options. And Jesus makes that option very clear. He said, I would that you all, I would that you all. But what happened is you forgot to occupy. We were not put here on earth to finish what Jesus started. 
us wrong theology. We were not put here and given the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the seal of promise that Jesus is coming back to finish what Jesus started. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. He finished it all. We are not put here to finish what he started. We were put here to start what he already finished. We were here. We've been given something. And we are to start that. We are to occupy that. To do the business at hand. But rather than occupying the kingdom of heaven, we have become preoccupied. And there's a huge difference between occupying and being preoccupied. Occupying means this, carrying out the business at hand. Being preoccupied means this, engrossed in thought. You know what that means? I'm consumed with myself. Jesus said, I want you to occupy the Father's business. And to do that, I am graciously giving you gifts and talents. I'm going to give you the gift of life. I'm going to give you the promise of the Holy Ghost. And he's going to empower you. And he's going to endue you with power. And he's going to bring gifts with him. And they're called a discernment of spirit, prophecy, all those things. But he also is going to give you fruit so that people can taste of the fruit of who I am. You are to occupy. But we, the church, rather than occupying, have become preoccupied. And that preoccupation is about our self. You know what else it means? It means distracted and absorbed in other things than what you should be occupied about. Jesus says, occupy until I come. And we have ended up in a world and even in a gospel that we have allowed ourselves to be preoccupied, absorbed in everything else than what the master has told us to occupy ourselves with. Somewhere along the line, we've convinced ourselves that we're doing good. I'm telling you, I feel the weightiness of this. That's why I was sitting there. I felt the weightiness even then. And my fear is this, that as a church and whole, again, I'm not, I believe I believe the Holy Ghost is speaking to us today, but it doesn't just stop with us. I'm, I believe this is a body of Christ message for this hour. And because of rather than occupying, and let me just give you a, just a couple of sentences of why Jesus would use this word occupy. We are to be the occupying army. If you know anything about an occupying army, they have troops that come in, and the troops come in, and the troops win the victory. If you're talking about in the natural, specifically back in biblical times, how they did war and how they overcame countries, what they did is they had specific people who were just skilled in different things, and they would send those in, and that army would be the army that brought victory because of the authority that they had, because of the skill that they had, because of all those things. They would, they would bring victory. And then what would happen is that 
group would go on to the next battle and they would either one leave troops there or they would bring troops in to occupy what was fought and won. So you have, Pastor Tim's going to be the victorious army. He comes in because of his authority and his power and his skill set and he fights this and he declares victory. He declares, this is now my kingdom. This is now under my authority, but I'm going to go to another place now. But I understand if I leave this place, it's going to become a vacuum. And the enemy that once dwelt there will just come right in and, re, and rehash everything. And Jesus actually talked about it. He talked about it in the, in the scope of deliverance. He said, if you, ever, if you ever see a person that gets delivered of devils, if, if the, after they've cleaned up the house, if they do not fill their house, meaning their soul, with the word of God, and I'm paraphrasing it to you, if they don't fill themselves with the presence of God, if they don't fill themselves with who I am, then all they are is a clean shell, and they'll feel peace, and they'll feel serenity for a moment, but it won't be long because there will be a vacuum there that 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 the devil that was delivered out of them will go get seven more because it will strengthen its resources, come back into the previously swept home, and that person will be more damned seven times than when they received deliverance from the first place. Jesus used it in the analogy of us even. He says, occupy till I come. What did he mean? He means I've already have the skill set, the authority, and the power, and I have defeated this enemy. But if I leave to go to another place, I understand this enemy is just going to wait till the dust settles, and he's going to return, and he's going to think he has power, and he's going to just set up all these other things. You can look throughout history in the natural when countries invade countries, and this exact thing that I'm telling you about happens. So what he does as a commander, he says, I have to leave an occupying army in this place. Why? To represent my power, my authority, and my image. So what does he do? He brings in somebody who is not him, but looks like him, talks like him, sounds like him, carries his name. And says, you occupy this land. Go stand over there for me. Because I'm going someplace else. I will return. I'm going to return. But I'm giving you the power. You don't have to fight the battle. I've already won the battle. You just have to occupy. I've already defeated this enemy that has taken hold of this plot of land. All you have to do is walk in the authority that I've given you. All that you have to do is not become preoccupied with yourself. And that's exactly what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus came down in his life, shed his blood, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again on the third day, ascended at the right hand, and he left this place that he defeated Satan, death, hell, and the grave. And he has put believers in this place. And he says, new life, I need you to occupy until I return. 
In other words, you don't have to fight the battle. Now, the enemy's going to come up against you. I'm not saying we don't fight battles, but I'm saying the word occupy encompasses that the battle has already been won. We just have to thrust the authority of the one who won the battle. I'm not saying we're not going to see enemies. Enemies are going to try to come. And because we don't know the word occupy and because we have been preoccupied, what we have done is we have backed up and 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 we have backed up. We have backed up. And we find ourselves and we're still calling ourselves, oh, I carry his name. I carry his name. I know who he is. But now the enemy's not afraid of me anymore. Why? Because I didn't occupy. And I become preoccupied. Now I'm worried about my armor. Now I'm worried about my title. Now I'm worried about, whoo, here's a big one. Now I'm worried about my happiness. We've been so preoccupied that we have literally let go of the reins of what Jesus told us to do and that was to occupy until I come in that turn with me to Matthew 25 this is a very familiar set of scripture give me just a tiny bit of volume up here if you could You can excuse yourself, but don't stay away long. We must, we must prioritize intimacy with the Father. We must do that. That is part of occupying. How do I know what to occupy if I don't know the person who give me the instructions to occupy? That would be like if, like, uh, Julie and Curtis, they, they do a wonderful job at taking care of this building in the natural. They do a wonderful job. They're here all the time on a weekly basis, several times sometimes during a week, and they're just, they're just keeping the building. They're keeping it up. They're tending to it. They're catching critters. They're doing all these things. But that would be like, like Pastor Tim and I telling them to do something and then just just never giving them any type of instruction. Well, just here, just do this, okay. No, they, they do what they do because they are being faithful to the instruction. And the first person that would notice is you guys if they become unfaithful in it. Why? Because you would come in and you'd be like, well, goodness, this looks like a pig pen. Nobody's cleaned up nothing. Try to go to the restroom. You could tell that a young boy's been in there, and that's all that needs to be said about that. Like, <laughs> you, you would notice. You would notice. And I'm telling you, with the instructions that Jesus has given, and he's given us things to occupy his kingdom with, 
for those who have discerning of spirits and those who have been beholding the father and then you look at the bride and the bride is supposed to look like him, sound like him, occupy like him, walk like him, it is easy to see that some things have been unfaithful in the keeping of the temple. Are y'all following me, the scenario that I'm laying out? And so we must prioritize intimacy with the Father because we must know him. Part of that intimacy of knowing him is his word. And the reason why the church has become and the body of Christ has become uh, easily deceived is because we don't know his word. And the reason why we have become uh, easily fragmented is because we do not know his word. Scripture says, even through the words of Jesus and through the words of Paul, that by reading his word, you are actually reading his will, that his word is his will. That if you have some kind of what I'll call, quote unquote, spiritual encounter that begins to tell you to do things outside of his will, that should be a red flag that that is not the Holy Ghost. If, if somebody or something is telling you, you don't need to pour into yourself the word of God that, oh, that's an old school thing. You don't have, we've moved past that now because we have podcasts. I'm telling you, that is not the will of God because he specifically says, he doesn't say the podcasts that I inspire are my will and my words. He says, my word is my will. Now, there's nothing wrong with podcasts, nothing wrong with sermons. We all need to fill our spirits and our minds with those things. But I'm telling you, it is not to be at the detriment of reading the Word of God. The Word of God is the will of God. We have to have that. We must have that. We must have intimacy with the Father. Tell, tell your neighbor, you have to have intimacy with the Father. You have to. You have to, and we are increasingly coming into days that you are going to have to raise that up a little bit. I'm not one that, that has a stigma of you got to read certain amounts per day, but I'm telling you as a pastor, from what I'm seeing in the news and what I'm seeing in the spirit realm and even dreams that has been being given uh, to me and a, a friend of mine that lives in Arizona, we, co- we comment about each other's dreams. What is happening is we need to decrease Netflix and increase the word of God. We need to decrease. Listen, when I say decrease, I'm not saying these things are wrong or sinful, but I'm telling you as Christian believers, we need to decrease some things and we need to increase the word of God or else you will be deceived. You will be deceived because the Bible even says there's going to be people that know a lot. The very elect are going to be deceived. Let me give you a prophecy that was spoken before we read Matthew 25. I'm, not, I'm, I'm intentionally not going to give the name of the pastor that spoke this because I want you to focus on what he said versus the personality of who he is. This pastor is a very well-known pastor and has hosted numerous revivals that have moved the earth and, and moved people in the earth closer to God. And in this, I, I watched a, a, a clip from him 
back at the very, very beginning of July, I want to say like July 1st or 2nd, 3rd, something like that. It was like the very beginning. And he, the Lord, and he even said, I don't have many visions. Like that's just not the apparanda in which God uses to speak to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. She's, she'll be okay. That as, as he was sitting in the presence of the Lord, he had this vision and this vision was this baseball, and it was, and he could tell it was a baseball far off, but he, that's all he could tell. And as it got closer and closer, and it was coming, the close, the bigger it got entailed that it was getting closer. And as it got closer, it started picking up speed. And it and in the speed, it became unraveled. He could see that the seams of the baseball was unraveling. And as it was coming closer and closer, as if it was just going to smack him in the face, it was like the, the whole seam of the baseball just went, whoosh, and it just it, it got ripped off, and he could see what was inside. And he had no idea what that meant, so he began to seek the Lord. So in this vision, he spoke it at the very beginning of July, but he had it sometime in June. And so he began to seek the Lord through prayer and fasting. He's like, God, he's like, I appreciate baseball, but I have no idea what this means. You have to show me what this means. And as he began to pray and fast and seek the Lord for the interpretation of this vision, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, in quick days, in quick days, you are going to see some things begin to unravel. And in that unraveling, it's going to start in this way. Quickly, there is going to be political people who have a stage that they will no longer have that stage. They will no longer occupy that stage. And he wasn't trying to say that they were going to die or anything. He was just trying to, he was just trying to say that the Lord had put them on that stage or allowed them to be on that stage. And now there was going to be a removing of that voice, a removing of that influence. And he said this, he said, you're going to see it in the political realm first, and it's going to be followed up in the religious circle second. That within a quick amount of time, people who have had voices of influence, voices of authority, and being able to speak that stage, that, that place of influence, it's going to be taken from them. You're going to see it in the political realm first, and then you're going to start noticing in the religious realm. He gave that on July 3rd, and we are not even out of the month of July yet. And you can Google this. Since then, there have been at least four and possibly five. In fact, I just sent one to Tommy. I knew he was busy, and I snapshot, and I said, look, there's another one that they have either resigned just quickly, like out of the blue, like nobody was expecting it, and they just resigned, or one particular person was assassinated just in a matter of two or three weeks. So in a matter of time, when you start to see the other half of this prophecy coming to fruition, let it be something that shakes your soul. Let it be something that grips you. Don't, don't just be like, oh, this is just news. Oh, this is just, oh, just another preacher. Oh, just another. No, let it shake your soul because God is giving warning. God is trying to shake his people. God is trying to awaken the church. Why? Because we as a whole, I'm not, I'm not trying to say individuals are not doing this, but we as a whole body of Christ all around the world are not really occupying the way Jesus has told us to occupy until he comes. Amen. 
And he says this, Jesus says this in, in Matthew 25. It's a very familiar scripture. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, he is using another parable to tell you the parallel of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he starts off, and as I begin to read, and you can read, if you've been in church at all, you'll probably recognize these. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So he's showing you something in this realm that it is like in the kingdom realm. And he is, he is connecting, even though that this is verse 1 of chapter 25, he is using a word then, and that word then connects it to chapter 24. I don't have time to go into all of that just because of the sake of time because I want to get to some other points. But I want you to know that chapter 24 and chapter 25 are not exclusive of themselves. They are conjoined and they are together. So Jesus has been teaching about the coming of his, of his return in chapter 24. He is talking about different things that are going to be happening in the earth in chapter 24. In fact, when you go to uh, verse 36 of 24, and you don't have to go there, Tanner, but I'm just going to quickly show you a couple things. In chapter 24, in verse 36, Jesus is, has been teaching, and he's saying this, but at but of the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, here's what they were doing. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until Noah entered the ark. What was they were doing? They were being preoccupied with their own life. Yes. Noah was sounding the alarm. Yeah. Noah was showing by example. Noah had a hammer in his hand. And all day, every day, for probably a hundred years, all they could hear was the hammering of... If you heard that all day long, and yet never seen any rain, you would start to become frustrated in the natural. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat? And what on earth is a boat for? A boat is for I can get my family in because there's a flood coming. Noah, I don't even know what a flood was. Well, God showed me what a flood was, and he's going to open up heaven, and he's going to open up the earth for a hundred years. I'm telling you, some of what they would have been saying at that was like, Noah, we've heard this our whole life. You know what I'm hearing now? When you tell somebody about the second coming of Jesus, when you tell somebody, hey, have, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to check your soul, to make sure you're right with the Lord. I know you know about him. I know you've sat through Sunday school. I know you sit through, but I'm telling you to open up your spirit and let Holy Ghost check your heart. You know what we're starting to hear? Well, your mom and dad said the same thing. They thought Jesus was coming too. They were preaching that same thing back at Azusa Street. And now look, we're in 2022. Look how long that is. And they're saying the same thing. You know what they're doing? I hear you pounding. 
but I don't see any rain. I hear you pounding, Noah, but I don't see any rain. We have people that sit in this church and hear the pounding of the gospel, but their heart is so callous to the gospel, and they're saying, I am preoccupied. I got to do what I want to do. I'll obey the pounding of the voice of Noah someday. But just like what Jesus said, there is coming a moment just likened unto Noah when there will be a culture of people that are marrying and giving in marriage and drinking and having a great time in this life trying to find themselves. Trying to say God did not make... or. God made me this way, or I was born in the wrong body, or I have this affection, or I have that attraction, and they were justifying everything. And Noah was like, get ready, y'all, it's coming. Get ready, y'all, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And you know what? We see the news, we see prophecy fulfilled right before our very eyes, and yet we in the body of Christ are like, what can I do next? What can I do next? I don't feel like going to church this morning. Oh, man, I got this helmet. Oh, I got this. Oh, I'm weary in body. And we're just so preoccupied with ourselves. And meanwhile, the Holy Ghost. And we come into service, and the windows of heaven open in the Spirit, and God's Spirit begins to flow, and He's knocking on your heart. And yet we do this. We get our phone because we can't handle it. So we get our phone and we start doing all this. We start talking. We start moving. We start watching babies. And meanwhile, the Holy Ghost is saying there's coming a day that you don't know the day or the hour. Amen. Yes. We're listening to news. And we've heard preaching so much that it literally has blinded our spiritual eyes. And we don't see it until somebody like a Noah, starts saying, rain is coming. I know you don't know what it's going to look like. Noah didn't really know what it was going to look like. He was just prophesying what he saw when he made his, his connection with God a priority. He really didn't understand it all. He just was being obedient by faith. That God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And I'm just going to try to, my best to be obedient to what God has said. Jesus is using that analogy to people. Listen, in these chapters, he was not talking to what you and I would classify as unbelievers. He was not talking. He was not sitting on a hillside and talking to whosoever was coming unto him. He was talking to people that we would say, these are people that should know. He was talking to the religious leaders of that day. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was talking to people who was actually looking for Messiah. And he's standing right there and they could not see him. They were listening to Messiah, but they could not hear him. They were watching him perform miracles, and their minds were dull to what he was doing. 
Meanwhile, the Holy Ghost that was on Jesus was speaking something over them, was saying, but of that day, just like it was in Noah's day, just like the people who didn't believe Noah, How's Noah doing all this? Do you think he just conjured all this up? Did he just have the strength and the ability to be able to put an ark together? Pastors and ministers and prophets and apostles that are speaking the true word of God, do you think that they just are putting all this together as, as just some, something to do because they don't have nothing else better to do? Something has been laid on hearts of men and women around the world. And not all of them are unfaithful prophets. Have we had our dose of false prophets? Yes. But not all prophets are unfruitful and unfaithful. Some of them are speaking the word of God. And we better be able to distinguish who is speaking the truth of God's word and who is trying to deceive us. Oh, you can keep living the way you're living. Noah will let you on the boat at the last minute. Oh, you don't have to separate yourself from that. Noah's going to let you on the boat at the last minute. Oh, you don't just let them do all the work to build the boat, and you just continue doing what you're doing. And surely, look, I know where the boat's at. I can get to the boat. That, that door is wide. If an elephant can get through that door, surely I can sneak in. The Holy Ghost is knocking on our conscience every Sunday. The Holy Ghost comes here in this particular ecclesia and shows himself strong every Sunday. You don't even have to just take my word for it. You can take other people's, you can take people's words that has never entered into this house and they come through them doors and they're like, man, they don't know who's who because we don't like wear badges or nothing. We don't like wear robes or nothing. So they don't know who the pastor is, who's not. You know what they do? They stepped under an open heaven where there was saturation of prayer, saturation of the anointing, saturation of people worshiping, saturation of unity coming together. We may not have 200 people, but there's a unity of God. We just want your presence. And they don't know who's who. They don't know who's what. They just step in and they step in from a culture that is always antagonizing and always dragging on them. And they step into this culture and they're like, man, I feel something different. I've never felt this before. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the very presence of God. It's the Holy Ghost. What is he doing? He's knocking at your heart's door. Like likened unto Noah. The life you're living, you've been deceived. Get to the ark. Get to the ark. Noah did not know when the floods were coming. He was just pounding away. But Jesus says, Messiah, and he's talking to church folks. He's talking to temple goers. He's talking to people who were performing the sacrifices. He's talking to people who were 
very vigilant at bringing the sacrifices. He's saying the Son of Man is going to come. And it's going to come just like when Noah walked into the ark and the Holy Father shut the door. He's going to come in like manner. That the Son of Man doesn't even know when he's going to return. He's, then he goes on, he says, at that time, when all these things are happening in verse 20, or chapter 24, he says, at that time. Put up verse 1. He says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Just keep going for the sake of time, Tanner. And now five of them were wise and five were foolish. He just divides them into two groups. Okay? I, I don't think that there's any real significance in the division of five five. I think Jesus was just for the sake of he was just dividing. I think that there's significance in the ten. But I don't have time to go into all that. So he's, he's saying there's like 10 virgins. There's, there's 10 virgins here. They're the ones that's going to light the, the pathway, if you will, for the bridegroom to come. Most, a lot of translations will say lamps. That's an okay translation, but really it means torch. If, if you look it up, what that was, it, it wasn't just like a little bitty hand lamp. It would have been similar to like, you know, them old torches. Have you ever watched the movie The Passion of the Christ and the soldiers are coming to get Jesus and you see them big flame, you know, several? It would have been something like that because the purpose of it was to shine in the dark so that you could see the pathway. And they had 10 of them. And they all would have had these bright burning torches with oil in them. And as they were holding it up there, or, or maybe they had a long pole on them, they would have stuck them in the ground. They would have, the bridegroom would have been able to see from afar off and said, that's the ones that are burning. That's the ones I'm coming after. And so it had to project light. And it says, and those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. And again, I don't have time to teach all this, but in chapter 24, he also talks about foolish servants. And these are connected. Verse 4 says, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Let me just teach this. Go go back up. Go to verse 2. I'm going to just teach this until Holy Spirit says stop. Now, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Jesus is, can I just use my language? Jesus is talking to Sunday morning Christians. He is talking to people who showed up to church. He's not talking to unbelievers here. Chapter 24, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to people who say, I'm looking for Messiah. I'm looking for who this Jesus is. Who are they? And he divides them basically in half. Five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. Jesus is making a distinction in church going folk. Huh, let that. Jesus opens up his scroll. I'm just, you know, showing you. He's like, everybody open your Bible apps. I'm about to teach you the word of God here. Thank you for everybody coming. But five of y'all ain't making it. Roll it up. Have a good day. 
That's what he was saying because they were all there. They, they were there because they thought they were holy. They were there because they thought they were righteous. They were there because they had a head knowledge of the Old Testament. But they didn't understand that Jesus was a walking, breathing, living Torah that they were looking for. They knew how to read the Torah. They just didn't know how to get a hold of the Torah. They knew how to quote the Torah, but they didn't recognize the Torah. They knew how to tell you how to live according to the Torah, but they were denying the living Torah. And so they were there. They thought they were going to get a greasy grace message. Woo, let's shout. And Jesus said, no, there's some of you in here that are wise, and there's some of you in here that are foolish. And he makes a distinction and a division. Jesus, in another gospel, said, the truth that I speak will rightly divide, and sometimes it will even offend. Because sometimes truth offends. So the very first thing from the get-go, he's like, we got to put these people in categories so they know who is who. You know why he had to do that? Because they all looked the same. They all sang the same song. They all were carrying the same torch. They all looked righteous to the natural eye. You couldn't distinguish, but to eyes that burn like flames of fire. He wasn't just looking on the outside. He was looking into the very heart of their soul. And when he looked at some of them, he said, all I see is a dead man's tomb. You look good on the outside because your robes are long and people give you reverent seats at the table. But I ain't looking at all that. I'm looking into the motive of your heart. I'm looking to what you talk about behind the closed scenes. I'm looking at what you watch when you don't think nobody else is watching. I'm looking at what you ponder on your, on your Facebook when nobody else is seeing what kind of things are you sending in Snapchat? Who are you talking to? And Jesus looks all at that with flames of fire. And he says, it looks like dead to me. He was comparing their life to death. Jesus, the living Torah. And they would have, listen, he's talking and he's teaching. They would have just quoted something. Because Jesus stepped in when they were having temple worship. They would have just sacrificed something. They would have just read something from Scripture. They would have just walked in, took their pious seats. They would have been looking good. And Jesus says, I'm looking at some of y'all, and it looks like death to me. Why? Because unrighteousness always looks like death when you compare it to righteousness. Unrighteousness looks okay when you're comparing it to other unrighteousness. I can justify my unrighteousness if I compare my unrighteousness to his unrighteousness. But when I get around the walking, breathing Torah, who is a burning one, and his light begins to eliminate the truth of my soul, 
Now, all of a sudden, what I have justified, I'm just like, huh. So he makes a distinction and he divides them up because there was a time when they all looked the same. Go to verse 3. Verse 3. But the wise, oh, here, verse 3. Those who were foolish, notice the order of language here. Those who were foolish, what did they take? What's the first thing it says? Their lamps. Because foolish people are always concerned with lamps first. I wished I had my torch up here again. Let me just use this. Pretend this is a torch. Foolish people are always concerned what's in their hand. They'll always put what's in their hand above anything else. Why? Because people can see what's in my hand. So I have to make sure my lamp is shining. Gee, you hold this. You're going to be the evil one today. Jesus is saying this. I see your lamp. I'm not even denying that you're not holding that you're holding a lamp. Everybody can see you're holding a lamp. Your lamp looks real pretty. You've taken care of your lamp. I just don't see no fire in there. Come on now. Come on now. I see the lamp. I see your ministry. I see your gift. You can sing good. You can preach good. You can write good. You're a great storyteller. Man, you're a great dancer. Man, you're a great entrepreneur. I see your gift. But what did Jesus tell us in Luke uh, 19? I'm going to give you something, and you're to use it to occupy until I return. They were given something. And everybody knew they had a lamp. I wished I had 10 of them. Because as long as everybody's holding up a lamp, everybody just do this. Listen, look, I just told you to do it and you did it. Look at there. The only, just hold it there for a second. I promise I won't keep you that long. I tell everybody to do that and they're holding up the lamp. And you look around and you don't fill out a place holding your hand up. You ain't got nothing in your hand, but you don't feel out of place. Somebody else is going to walk in there and say, like, this church crazy. We're walking out. They got their hands ready, pretending like they're holding something. It, it feels normal to us because everybody's doing it. Because now I am, if I don't do that, now all of a sudden it was like, now why ain't you holding up your hand, you rebellious person? I'm just kidding. But you see what I'm saying? So in here it's like, oh, yeah, I hold up a lamp. God's giving me a lamp. You can put your hands down. He's giving me a lamp to hold up. I see your lamp. Jesus is saying, I see your lamp. You come into the temple, your lamp's shining. But there's a distinction there. Look, those who are foolish will always make sure their lamps are taken care of. But they took no oil with them. Because it would have been a torch-like lamp, they would have oil. They would have had, there would have been like this little bowl or little cup, whatever you want to call it, this little groove in the top 
that would have held the oil. And what they would have done in back in the days is they would have had a rag of some sort, something like a rag, and they would have soaked it in oil, but then they would have put that rag in that little cup, and then they would have had the oil in the cup so that when they set that rag on the fire or on fire, the rag would have been burning, and it, was, it would have used the oil as fuel to keep it going, and it would have went, uh, it would have, kept burning for probably a couple of hours because the oil that they used in those kinds of torches was considered fine oil. So the foolish people took more time with their lamps than they did with their oil. They had some oil because they all looked the same. They had some fire because they all had to look the same, else Jesus would not have made a distinction between them. But then look at verse 4. And he says, but the wise took oil, look, in their vessels with their lamps. The fact that it words it that way means there was two separate compartments. They had their lamps they had the rag. They would have had the oil in the top of the torch. But they had, they had some wisdom to them. And they understand the bridegroom can come whenever he wants to come. The bridegroom doesn't come on my schedule. The bridegroom comes on his schedule. And I'm going to be wise about it. I'm going to have some reserve in a vessel that I'm going to hang on my belt called the belt of truth. And I'm going to hang this little vessel here. And I'm going to have excess oil just in case he doesn't show up when I think he should show up. That if he delays in his coming, then when my rag runs dry, I can fill it up with stuff that is in reserve. And then it says, and they all fell asleep. Now, in my opinion, I don't think that this is necessarily a bad thing. I think when it says, and they all fell asleep, I think it is just showing the mundaneness of life, the activity of life. They were all prepared at one time. But throughout the span of delay, they had to do life. And part of life is sleeping. Part of life is going to sleep. It was nighttime. And they were doing what they were supposed to be doing at lifetime. What were they, or at nighttime, what were they doing? They were occupying until Jesus comes. So the fact that they were all sleeping, in my opinion, is not, quote, unquote, a sinful thing. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They had their torch. They had the rag. They had the oil. Five of them had some reserve. He hasn't come yet, so now it's time to sleep. He hasn't come yet, 
So now it's time to take care of my family. He hasn't come yet, but, it's, but i got to have some bill money. He hasn't come yet, but i got to take care of these kids. He hasn't come yet, but i got to take care of this husband. He hasn't come yet, but i got to take care of the temple of God. He hasn't come yet. Fifty years down the road after your conversion, he hasn't come yet, but i still got to pray and read my Bible. He hasn't come yet, but i still got to stand in the gap for my unsaved loved ones. He still hasn't come yet, but I still want to carry the fruit of the Spirit. He still hasn't come yet. What are you doing? You are building up a reserve because you don't know when he is going to come. What is it? It's Noah. Bring me another board. Bring me another board. Bring me another board. I don't know when the rain's coming, but bring me another board. The ten virgins, I don't know when he's coming, but let me get some extra oil. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and they slept. They were doing the business of what they were given to do. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Hold on now. This suggests to me that somebody's in the house. (laughs) Because it didn't say... Behold, the bridegroom is showing up. Come out here to meet him. It said, Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Go out. Y'all see the difference? Somebody wasn't on this side saying, Hey, is anybody sleeping in there? Come on out here to meet him. No, somebody's in the house that got a little restless, maybe got awakened them by a dream. I don't know, maybe they got a little thirsty. Somebody in the house, when everybody else is just doing business as normal, which is fine, that's what we're to do. But somebody in the house, say, it's coming from inside the house, y'all. Right. <laughs> somebody in the house was saying, hey, wake up. Wake up, wake up. I don't want you to miss this. Wake up, wake up. The bridegroom's coming. I know you're just sleeping. Oh, you're doing your natural thing. But I'm telling you, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And it says, and they all, look, flip it, flip it. Then all the virgins arose. Thank God they all heard it. They, the sad part is, is they all heard it. They couldn't deny Not one person could stand before the bridegroom at the end of the parable, knock on the door and say, I didn't hear. That's not what they said. They all heard. They all were awakened. They all were made notice and put on notice and made aware that knocking that you've been hearing It's here. It's at hand. The day of the Lord is at hand. When I was praying this morning, all I could hear in my spirit was the day of the Lord is at hand. And they all arose and they trimmed their lamps. This is sad. This is so sad if you know how this story ends. They all trimmed their lamps. 
but yet five had no oil in their lamp. How are you trimming a lamp when there's no oil to trim? You know what it tells me? They all heard. Lacey, come. They all heard. They all heard the pounding of the hammer in Noah's day. Jesus is teaching. They all had a lamp. They all knew what went in the lamp. But how do you trim something that has no oil? You know what it tells me? That even after they heard, you know what happened? They just kept doing the same old routine. They were awakened and they heard, but they didn't change their routine. They were awakened and they heard, but they didn't change nothing about their life. They were awakened and they heard, but they had no preparedness to them. Something happened in the span of time when they were doing normal day living things. What happened? The seasons changed. The time changed. But the wise answered, or the foolish said, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, no, lest there should not be enough. Keep going, Tanner. Lest there should not be enough for us. Flip down to verse. Go for yourself and buy some of your oil. You know what this tells me? This tells me your oil cannot be given. It must be purchased. I can't give you oil. I can give you sermons. I can give you revelation even. I can give you notes. I can give you encouragement. I can give you what the word of the Lord is saying. The one thing that I cannot do is give you oil. That is the one thing. I might want to give you oil. I wish I could be a dispenser to give you oil. The only one you can get the oil from is the Father. The only one you can get the oil from is the anointed one. You know what the word anointed means? It just means smeared. It means rubbed on. When you anoint somebody, you take that oil or that fragrance and you rub it on them. You smear it on them. That means you can only get oil from the one who has the oil in the first place. And that's Jesus. And he rubs on you. I'm not talking about in the natural. I'm talking about in the spirit. He pours his presence on you. He wraps his arms of mercy and grace around you. And he does it daily. That's what the oil, that's what the reserve of oil is for. They said, we can't give you oil. We can't give you our oil. You have to purchase your oil on your own. And it says, as they went away, behold, the bridegroom came. Jesus, remember, connected it to the time of Noah. There was a time God said, Noah, go in the ark, and he allowed all. My question is, when they seen all the animals going in, why was that not a clue? Like, shouldn't that have been a clue to the people? Shouldn't that have been a sign that 
oh man, these animals, they can't be trained that way. What's going on? But I could say that in our day and age. Shouldn't what we're hearing and seeing be a sign to us? I'm not trying to say that the world is going to end tomorrow. I'm not trying to say that the second coming of Christ is going to happen tomorrow. I'm telling you, I don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen tomorrow or it could happen in another 500 years. I don't know. I'm just being honest. I don't know. But I know what God has said, occupy until I come. What I've given you, you occupy. In other words, you reserve up some oil. And I, when I was sitting right over here, I sensed the weight of even the moment with what Pastor Deontay was saying, with the way worship was going. I sensed the weight of the moment. And you can say in our heart, we can say, well, man, that would be a great sermon if the house was filled with sinners. No, Jesus was talking to church-going folk. And he was wanting them to allow the very presence of Yeshua to convict their heart. He was giving them a moment for them to change their mind or repent. Jesus in the other chapter that's connected to this chapter, he called them hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is one who puts on a mask and plays a role. The thing about wearing a mask, I don't know if you've ever worn a mask. I remember when I was much younger, I had we, we was in a certain drama thing, and I had to wear one of those white masks that, you know, kind of, made you faceless in a, in a sense so there was no character to it it was just a white mask and it just had an eye hole and some air holes here the thing about that is is you could only see what was right in front of you what it did was it literally deceived you from everything else that was going around because you had no longer had a peripheral vision and and you had you had to be trained in, into knowing exactly what to do or or else you was going to stumble you was going to fall What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is learning to do things so well because your vision has been blocked. You've been deceived. Lacey, I want you to sing that, what you're playing right there. And the Holy Spirit was moving in service, in worship. And what I want you to do is I'm just asking you as your pastor... And as a minister of the gospel, as someone who is picking up the hammer in 2022, likened unto Noah, just pounding, just saying, guys, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when. All I can tell you is the signs of the times. All I can tell you is make you aware of what is happening and what is transpiring. And, and it's, it's aligning up to what God said in his word. Just let the Holy Ghost penetrate your heart. First, let the Holy Spirit penetrate your heart. Make sure your heart is right with the Lord. Don't be one of those ones that say, Jesus changed my life and then eh. there's no life change in your life. 